Chapter thirty six of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Cooperation. The next thing that our Chautauqua friends did was to absorb themselves utterly in a scheme of cottage building. It is not known in whose wise brain the first thought concerning their brilliant plan had birth, though Mrs. Fenton believes that it grew out of Joe Ward's earnestly expressed wish that they had a house of their own. Caroline took hold of the thought with vigor, and Robert Fenton may have been said to dash into the center of it on first mention. The scheme was a novel one. It grew by inches, but, when fully developed, was unlike anything that had been planned before, even in that most original of places. "'People have cooperative all sorts of things nowadays,' Mr. Masters had said. "'I wonder why it wouldn't be a good idea to have cooperative house-building.' Somebody repeated that sentence to young Ward, who said it was exactly in a line with what he had been thinking of. So, what was at first simply talk, grew into a very short space of time into actual deeds. A cottage at Chautauqua, owned and controlled by the Centerville CLSC. Such was their ambition. After diligent investigation, it was discovered, and the discovery was reduced to actual figures, that one thousand dollars would not only buy a lot, but build and furnish a cottage. Notwithstanding the skepticism of some on this point, the enthusiastic young people succeeded in getting the signatures of responsible parties to the statement. The next thing in order was to raise the money. It was Mr. Fenton who proposed that the thousand dollars should be divided into shares of fifty dollars each, and that each person who chose to join them should take one or more shares. Then young Robert took up the matter with glee prepared a paper and circulated it that very evening at the tea-table, to secure the names of stockholders, his eyes shining like stars over the fact that his father not only took a share for himself and one for his wife, but coolly forged his son's name and added another fifty. Caroline surprised them all by giving her signature. Mrs. Fenton knew her as a careful economist, but even she did not understand how fifty dollars could have been saved for this purpose. The pretty Amy unhesitatingly took a share, admitting that it would only need a little careful planning of her pin-money to meet such a small amount. Of course the president of the circle took one, but carefully refrained from doing more than that, and counseled that each one's stock should be confined to that amount, in order to make an equal interest. This required some correspondence with members not present at Chautauqua, and bade fair to cause delay, until the president proposed to go security for certain absentees. So before the close of the second day, the amount named was secured. It was a surprise to some that Joe Ward's name was among the stockholders, but sundry long talks with the president had been held before he finally signed it, and the wise ones hinted that he had given his note for part of the payment, and that the president of the circle had promptly discounted the note. The new scheme met with great favor, even Effie Butler rousing to the importance of it, and actually offering a suggestion or two as to the length of the front windows and the size of the parlor. A builder who could do wonders was the next requisite. Mr. Tucker was out of the question. He shook his head wistfully when the plan was explained to him, admitted that the whole thing just took his fancy, and he should like no better fun, 
but them two houses that he had promised for the professor were larger and finer and had more work on them than any on the grounds and would take every single inch of his time while the meetings lasted you see he explained his lots is so near the amphitheatre there as they call it though i don't see no theatre about it and they wouldn't let a fellow saw a board or drive a nail while the meetings is on and they are on most of the time so we make slow work and i can't go into it nohow but i know a man who can his name is scott and a likelier kind of a builder i ain't met very often he is just finishing of a house down on jane's avenue it went up like lightning i'd never see anything like it one morning no sign of a house on that lot and the next there it stood that fellow worked i've seen a good deal of fast work in my day but i'm free to confess i never saw anything to our state like the way that house went up no sham work either i watched it fact is it kind of fascinated me and i hung around there at all hours and watched and neither that man nor the other there's two of them and they worked together the other's name is brooks well sir neither of em shirked a hair it is just downright honest hard work you see their word was at stake they had promised the house at such a day and hour in good shape and says mr scott to me when i pass my word for a thing i calculate to do it if it is a possible thing to do and if i have to go without my dinners and work all night this house shall be done at the time well sir it was and they moved in and the owner himself told me that the house was every bit it promised to be you might go and see it it is right round there on jane's avenue near the corner we like men who can keep their word said dr monteith to whom this explanation was made and he wrote in his notebook the names of the builders in question the result of this conference and several others was that mr scott was engaged to build the cooperative cottage now in addition to all their other pursuits the excitement of watching a house of their own go swiftly up was added what a delight it was to some who had never really expected to own a foot of land can be better imagined than described perhaps to none it was more of an inspiration than to joseph ward he spent every moment that could be spared from his two tents on the ground watching the progress of the new building did you not know that he had two tents well it chanced that a tenter living near to him with whom he had exchanged certain neighborly kindnesses was unexpectedly called home and having become interested in the young man's enterprise placed his well-furnished tent in joe's hands with full permission to rent at his discretion with the understanding that when the assembly closed the tent and all its belongings should be safely housed in a spot named so a stranger of but a few days acquaintance contributed his mite toward the young man's education for that chautauqua was educating him into a business man was evident his first taste of enterprise had been so thoroughly relished that it had taken complete hold of his imagination from that time joseph ward reveled in a world of his own wherein houses and lots owned by himself abounded meantime he was no mean helper at the new house whose walls rose swiftly as he sawed and planed and hammered guided by the skilful eye and cheery voice of the master builder almost he decided that he would be his own carpenter building his own houses there was one stockholder whose name i have neglected to mention this was no other than paul adams the fact astonished nobody more than himself 
He was so amazed when Mr. Fenton showed him his name on the contract, and opposite it those magic figures, that beyond one short sharp whistle he made no sound. Yet the explanation was simple. I have told you that Mr. Tucker was deeply interested, had many questions to ask. "'So you don't let anybody in unless he belongs to your ABC, eh?' was one of them. "'No,' said Dr. Monteith, smiling. "'It is connected with our own local circle.' "'Well,' after a meditative pause, during which he had whittled a chip, as he always did when in deep thought, "'I don't belong to no circle, don't expect to, not of a book-learning kind, but I know somebody who does, and I don't see his name here. I want to put it down in black and white. Never mind if the number is made up. Drop out one of the folks that ain't here to speak for themselves. If they'd wanted to be in, they ought to be here, and I'm bound he shall be in anyway. You are better at writing than I am, more used to it. You just write his name and the figures while I count out the fifty. It isn't any more than I meant to add to his wages. He deserves it if a boy ever did. I hired him kind of low in the first place, because I didn't more than one quarter believe in him and I ain't raised him, because I was kind of afraid of setting him up more than would be good for him. Folks are uncommon afraid of that, you know, in this world, though I think myself people get set down a good deal oftener than they get set up. Here's the fifty, good clean bills. Have you got the name ready? You haven't given me the name yet, Professor Monteith said, his McKinnon pen unscrewed. His smiling mouth told the story of his satisfaction. "'Why, Paul Adams, of course,' said Mr. Tucker, astonished that any one should presume to be so dull as not to know the boy in whom he was specially interested. So it transpired that Mr. Fenton showed Paul Adams his name that evening written in beautiful characters, with the remarkable sum of fifty dollars set down opposite. After the first astonished whistle, and the silence that followed, came a look of intense gravity." "'I don't know about that,' he said, shaking his head. "'Fact is, I made up my mind to drive my own nails right straight through this world, and I kind of like to stick to it. I'm obliged to whoever did it, I'm sure, but I don't know about it as true as you live.' "'Every nail of it is your own,' Dr. Monteith said with a pleased smile. He liked Paul none the worse for his strong ideas of independence.' Your employer told me that the sum put down here was not a cent more than he owed you, above what he had already paid. He has been contemplating a rise of wages for some time, and he thought you would like to invest the money in this way. "'Did Mr. Tucker put it down?' said Paul, and his voice was eager and his eyes were bright. This made it certain that thus far in his business life he had been a success. "'Oh, the pretty house!' If you are the fortunate owner of several houses, or even of only one, you will hardly be able to enter with complete success into the feelings of certain of these Chautauquans who had never possessed a foot of land before, as they watched from day to day the magic process of house-building, realizing that these rooms were to belong to them. "'Little pieces of home,' Caroline called the different rooms." and I, who never expected to have even a piece of a home, should enjoy it thoroughly. Mr. Masters looked down at her almost pityingly as she said it. "'Did you never really expect to have a home?' he asked her, 
and Caroline, detecting the undertone of feeling in his voice, and remembering that he also had been one of the homeless ones, answered brightly, "'Oh, yes, indeed I did and do. I would not for a moment forget it. I look for a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens.' This young man, who was himself a builder, you will remember, liked to watch the progress of the new house almost as well as did the stockholders. He was at this time engaged in directing the uprearing of three new and elegant cottages on one of the main avenues. They represented thousands, where the cooperative cottage did hundreds, nevertheless the heart of the builder was in this cottage which he was not building. He hovered about it, giving a wise suggestion now and then, keeping posted on all the improvements, and giving a careful eye to all the details. "'I don't know how it is,' he said, "'but I feel as though I were somehow a piece of the enterprise. I wish I could have taken hold of it myself. The thing fascinates me, though I could not have done better work than is being done for you. Why, Mrs. Fenton, you have the corner cupboards.' "'Of course we have.' said that lady briskly. I do not believe Caroline would have invested in the enterprise if we had not included them in the plan. She thinks nothing in the housekeeping line is so important. Oh, Mrs. Fenton, said Caroline with a deprecating laugh, but she did not stop the little woman's tongue. I'll tell you what she said when she first regulated them, Mr. Masters. She assured me that some woman must have planned them, that no man would ever have thought of them in the world, and she was sure the builder's wife must have insisted on them. "'I wonder where his wife is,' was Mr. Masters' rejoinder as he laughed lightly. "'He planned them carefully, expressly for her benefit, and she has never had the grace to thank him. She can take no credit to herself.' I wanted to economize her time and her patience, so I studied it up. Do you really like them, Mrs. Fenton? Of course I do. I wouldn't be a housekeeper if I didn't. It is quite time your wife had the benefit of them, I think, Mr. Masters. Sometimes I think so, he said quietly. I wish I was sure that she approved. Caroline had moved entirely away and was studying the view from one of the western windows. She was in no mood to hear these two frolic over her little dream of home. Perhaps the one whose absorbing interest in the building scheme astonished them the most was Effie Butler. She was not a stockholder, for the reason that she had never become a member of the CLSC, for which Mrs. Fenton unhesitatingly expressed herself thankful. "'She doesn't belong,' would that emphatic lady say with energy. "'She is off on a different strip.' Don't you know that people are in strips? Whenever I see a new face, I can calculate in a few minutes from which strip it came. Now Effie is a good enough little goose, but she isn't one of our strip, and I'm really glad she isn't connected with this thing. This was early in the house building. As it progressed, it became evident that if Effie's money was not in the enterprise, her heart was. She watched the progress of events with the deepest interest. She entered with zest into the discussions about furnishing, exhibiting such decided talent for originating pretty things, and offering to show them how to get them up at a trifling cost, that it became the custom to defer to her opinion. "'She really hasn't gotten herself up like a wax doll all these years for nothing,' Mrs. Fenton admitted. 
she knows what is pretty and how to plan it i wonder if everything about us rightly managed would become a talent and a power for good said caroline that is an idea i suppose it is so all the pretty little plans that effie and amy and girls of their stamp seem to have bubbling up continually were intended to influence for good the people with whom they came in contact dear me said the matron her cheeks flushing don't speak of effie butler and our little amy in the same breath i beg as if they belonged to the same strip why amy has more sense in her little finger than effie has all over her and caroline smiling quietly was content to have it so remembering as she did that it was hardly a week since mrs fenton had expressed herself in equally plain and uncomplimentary terms about the pretty amy others beside caroline looked on with satisfaction over the fact that the sweet-faced little girl was taking such strides into the motherly woman's heart she did not forget that amy had come to her first for help in the new life that had opened before her and though she had been unable to give advice still she looked upon the child as in some sense belonging to her and watched over her with a new and tender care as for amy neither did she forget that mrs fenton was the first to whom she had spoken of her new experience perhaps it was this that awakened in her heart an intense longing to bring this woman into personal acquaintance with the lord and perhaps though the matron did not know it it was the subtle powerful influence of answered prayer that daily twined her heart so closely around amy's in more ways than one was the new recruit working mrs fenton had refused to consider the two girls as from the same strip yet it is true that heretofore they had been quite too much alike to have the slightest interest in or patience with each other but new interests had developed at chautauqua a powerful charm held them both both were singers amy not by any means a remarkable one but she had a sweet clear voice and a reasonably correct ear while effie as much to her own surprise as that of any other under the cultivation which chautauqua offered suddenly blossomed into a soloist of no small power it was professor case who detected the voice that was flute-like in its sweetness and was yet not singing loud enough for a less watchful ear to hear distinctly it was he who called her out and encouraged her and drilled her and in short amazed her by his emphatic statements as to what she could do and ought to do for a time she was bewildered who had ever told her that she ought to do anything or expected her to do anything but dress well and keep the parlor in order and dance gracefully and have as good a time as she could she had even grown up so far with a sort of feeling that it was unladylike to be intensely interested in anything almost against her will the choir rehearsals began to interest her the class of music which was being studied was elevating and without realizing its influence she felt its power the walks to and from the rehearsals were taken nearly always with amy as they too represented the most of the musical talent from the fenton cottage it would have astonished and at one time it might even have offended effie butler to have hinted that the society of little amy allison was elevating 
yet I wonder if you think that anyone can daily walk and talk with Christ as closely as did this new disciple of his, without having an elevating influence on those around her. It was new companionship for Effie. New themes were discussed, new influences set at work. Partly unknown to herself, half shrinking from the spell, the silent steady weaving of the new life went on around her. She actually did not like to admit that Chautauqua charmed her, yet it is true that she ceased to talk about hops as though they were the aim and end of all existence. It is true that she retired each night at an unprecedentedly early hour in her hitherto dissipating life. It is true that she awoke each morning without the sense of weariness and ennui to which she had been a victim, and found herself listening to the birds and enjoying their song, and planning with some show of mental energy for the occupations of the day. But it was not until one eventful evening, when the amphitheatre was crowded away to its remotest tier of seats with eager listeners, when the platform was seated with its grand chorus of four hundred voices, when the jubilees had alternately hushed and thrilled the audience by their weird, grand eloquence of song, and when she, Effie Butler, in floating robes of purest white, with no other ornament than a few sprays of delicate natural flowers, had come out alone before that great audience, and sung a sweet, bright song, and had been greeted by the delighted listeners with such deafening bursts of applause that she was obliged to appear again, that her foolish young heart went over entirely to the Chautauqua side. Henceforth no more extravagant devotee could be found throughout the length of the avenues than Effie Butler. I wonder if everything about us, rightly managed, would become a talent. That was the way Mrs. Fenton had expressed it, you will remember. And Caroline had finished the sentence in the way which she was sure the elder lady meant it. She thought of it again as she watched Effie Butler's voice, God-given, lead her steadily into daily companionship with what was ennobling. Did God design that through the channel of song she should be led up to him? What a grand thing it would be to have that voice sing only his praise! And that idea from that time took hold of Caroline. End of chapter 36